I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu. It's North London Derby weekend. The nerves have kicked in and I'm delighted to say that back on the show after a little while out on the sidelines through injury, shall we say, uh, he returns. Mike Stavrou uh, is back, the prodigal son. How are you doing? I'm very good, mate. I'm so excited to be back, and uh, it feels like a homecoming. It, <laughs> it 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 really does. It's it's been a long time. I've missed seeing your your face on the screen. We used to obviously see each other a lot more before day to day. So I, I did get a bit sick of you, but now we've had a bit of time apart. It's like you absence know. makes the heart grow fond. Yeah, isn't that what they absolutely. Say? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, how you been? What what you been up to? Um, tell people about what you're doing nowadays. Congratulations on that as well, because uh, Mike has uh, has got a, a cracking job. He's been doing a cracking job as well, uh, producing some amazing stuff. Uh, tell the listeners a little bit about what you've been up to, where they can find it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, so I'm working. Um, I'm privileged to say, actually, uh, I've been working with the Athletic for the last few months. I was brought on as a as an audio producer. They've got a bunch of uh, really really great podcasts, like the Totally Football Show, James Richardson. Absolutely, loads could list them for go on and on. But I've basically been brought in to help with their podcast production. Uh, I've been working on a few different shows. I did a documentary um, on Shakhtar Donetsk, and I think we're going to talk about Madrid later on uh, so I've got some really good insight on on him uh, that that was really really sort of a really great great project to be that was my first project that I joined on and then since then we did the world cup obviously that was that was crazy for a lot of different reasons as you know Harry it was uh, relentless and then straight back into the premier league and just d- doing our sort of regular club shows so yeah man it's been good it's been it's been uh, a new challenge for me uh, but I'm enjoying it Good. Glad to hear it, man. No, honestly, you deserve it. Um, you work incredibly hard. You're great at what you do. And, uh, and it's great to see you uh, climbing up the ladder. Um, let's start with the Mudrik stuff. And then uh, you can give us a little bit of insight into the player, into the situation uh, at Shakhtar Donetsk. Because a lot of the time when I say this is crazy money, how on earth can Shakhtar be serious in their demand of this? People always turn around to me and say, yeah, but look at the situation that they find themselves in. Hence, their sort of stubbornness around the figure, hence the reason they want to maximise uh, the asset that is Mikhailo Mudrik and get as much out of it as they possibly can. Um, first of all, tell us, actually, let me give the update on what's gone on today or, or what the latest is, and then you can provide us that insight. So if I just share the screen here, uh, Charles Watts's piece on goal.com, I think, sort of uh, captures what has actually happened uh, really, really well. Uh, he talks about uh, the breakthrough. He says, Arsenal edge closer to Mudrik deal as transfer talks accelerate with Shakhtar. Now, this is encouraging because the first couple of times we heard that Arsenal had gone in with an offer, it was very follow- It was very quickly, very swiftly followed mm. up by a Shakhtar are going to reject this. This mm. time we're not getting that. This time we're getting the idea and we're getting the impression that actually this is a lot closer to being done than than it ever has been. So Charles Watt says, Arsenal have edged closer to landing Mikhailo Mudrik after a breakthrough in talks with Shakhtar Donetsk over their star winger. He says that two previous bids were rejected, that Mudrik has always been uh, Arsenal's priority. And he does confirm 
Chelsea's interest, albeit not as advanced as the Gunners. Uh, he goes on to say negotiations have been ongoing for weeks between the two clubs. Uh, Mudrik, of course, is desperate to make a move to North London this month. Shakhtar have been insistent throughout that they want €100 million, Euros, £88 million for the 22-year-old, a figure that Arsenal have been reluctant to meet. But the Gunners are now hopeful that a deal can be struck with sources confirming to goal that the protracted negotiations are now centred around the final structure of the transfer rather than the initial fee with the potential add-ons being the key point of discussion. So it feels as though in terms of the overall package, we're quite close. Um, you know, we're, we're almost, I guess, at what Shakhtar want. And now the, the issue and the discussion is around how that will be made up exactly. Mm. Obviously, Shakhtar want the money to, to be able to go out and replace him. But Mike, you'll be able to tell us a little bit more. Let's start with Shakhtar. Yeah. They need the money just to operate at the moment because of the circumstances they find themselves in. Yeah, it's been obviously a really, really difficult situation for them since the since the war broke out uh, with with Russia last year, last February. Um, and uh, let me let me just read you a, an extract from one of the episodes of the uh, the the podcast, the, the series that we did. Um, it's called Away from Home, and uh, it's there's loads of great people working on it. And uh, this is this little bit on basically what happened to them when when the war broke out. FIFA basically brought in temporary regulations which allowed foreign players to leave and register elsewhere for the rest of the 21-22 season. Uh, the Ukrainian league was suspended at the time. Uh, so this provided foreign players a chance to continue playing football and remove any obligation to remain in the country under attack. Uh, however, when the Ukrainian league came back um, last season, this season, sorry, and uh, over a dozen foreign players remain contracted to Shakhtar, uh, the club say they were prepared to let the players go, but for the long term, financial health of the club they wanted to be able to sell the players um so uh, dario cerner who's the the sporting director there um they they were basically in contact with fifa trying to find out what's going on trying to find a resolution uh, but it didn't go well because um fifa said later on that year basically foreign players and the coaches will have the right to suspend their employment contract with their clubs until the 30th of june 2023 unless a mutual agreement was found between a player and their club by june 30th of uh, of last year so that basically left clubs like Shakhtar have only nine days uh, between th those two periods to cash in on their foreign players they might have wanted to sell. So basically they were left in a situation where in their ch um, Champions League uh, group stage, they they were left with mainly like a team made up of uh, of Ukrainian players. And obviously Madrid was was one of those players. Um, and he went on to show his his class to, to the world. He had a really good um, group stage in the Champions League, which probably alerted uh, teams like us, like Arsenal, um, so obviously, with the with the financial situation that that are there in at the moment, they need to cash in on on those players. Um, so I I do understand, you know, if you've got a, a valuable asset like that, why you'd want to maximise um, the full amount. And I remember when when we were doing this the series, um, Adam Crafton, the the journalist who works with Athletic, was was talking to Dario Cerna, and he was he said to him, you know, we we think Madrid should be going for the same fee as Anthony, the same fee as. Greedish, and they've actually stuck to their stuck to their statement. Hold on, hold on. They, they did, Dario, money. did Dario Serna say that to Adam Crafton, or do we blame Adam Crafton for uh, Shakhtar <laughs> wanting this type of money? <laughs> no, he did say that. He was basically saying that you know, I guess they were similar to to like Declan Rice when David Moyes was saying, well, you know, he's worth 150 million, so if you if you want him, you got to pay that. I think they were kind of thinking with Mudrik, well. 
you know, I don't think many people are going to are going to pay a hundred million, but let, let's just say that's what he's worth. And if if they want to put up that kind of money, they can. And to be fair, like what what we're reading at the moment and what that article you brought up was saying, the the total sort of package is looks like it's going to be worth around eighty million. Um, so they they're, they're going to get pretty close to 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 what they wanted. Um, but I think it, it is important to to understand the context. They're not. I don't think they're doing this out of greed. They're they're doing it because they're they're a club in trouble um you know financially and there's so much uncertainty and uh yeah i mean for me my my own personal opinion i, I think it's a it's, it's a lot of money for a, a player that that um has only really played in the ukrainian league and uh has looked good in the champions league because you don't really know what you're going to get when he comes over to england and the, the second more important point for me is that i don't think he comes in and walks straight into the side because i don't see who he displaces in the team I don't think he gets in ahead of Martinelli. Um, I don't think he gets in ahead of Saka. So it's like you are buying a player to be a sort of backup. And that that sort of money, it seems excessive. Um, but I think we've said plenty of times on this podcast, Harry, I think, you know, Edu and Arteta have done plenty of good things in the, in the transfer market and and we place our trust in them, or I do at least. Yeah, and and that's a valid point. I think they've earned the trust. I think they've earned the right to kind of, you know, sort of not warn the fans off, but kind of hold us at or keep us at bay when we're sort of coming and, and asking questions about, you know, the potential signings and whether they're worthwhile investments or not. It is a lot of money, though. It is crazy money. As you, as you say, you know, I can't say based on the little I've seen of Mikhailo Magic that he's better than Martinelli, so he doesn't get in the team ahead of him for me. He did the same with Bukayo Saka. Um, you know, there's an argument that a fit Emil Smith Rowe would would be ahead of him as well in the pecking order. We'll have to see how that develops and mm. you know how that issue sort of um, you know manifests itself. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, it, it seems like Arsenal are big on the player for Arsenal to, as you say, get much closer to what Shakhtar are demanding. Because you've got to remember the initial deal or the initial package that Arsenal put on the table was reportedly worth around 55 million euros. Now we're talking about an upfront fee of around about 70 million euros. So they've come up quite a way. It's not been, you know, 5 million, 6 million in terms of the way they've pushed the offer up. They've gone up quite drastically. They've obviously got an indication that the deal is not going to happen unless they do that. And they clearly want to get this wrapped up within this window. The other thing to note as well about Mikhailo Mudrik that I think is a point that's a lot of people have missed is that he is in preseason right now. It's kind of like a preseason that the Ukrainian Premier League stops uh, over the winter. And that's the period they're in now. So they are in Turkey now going through a training camp. But the the, the important point is because I've seen some Arsenal fans this morning on Twitter saying, well, if we get this done by the weekend, he can play against Man United next week. His fitness levels, Mike, are not going to be at the right level, I would say, or I would guess. You know, I'd, I'd be very surprised if he was fit enough, match fit enough, sharp yeah. enough to come straight into the team um, on that basis. It's 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 a deal that even if we do get it wrapped up now, I think he's going to need a few weeks to get up to the level. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, while I, I, I do reckon it is uh, obviously a long-term signing because they're spending that much money on a player of his age, I think there there really is a, a sense of pressure around the club um, that that there wasn't last year, last January. Because if if we just cast our minds back to last January, we we were all saying, you know, we need a striker, we need a striker, we need a striker. We we didn't bring one in, 
Um, and it actually ended up benefiting us because it meant that we allowed Alex Lacazette to run down his contract and then we bought Gabriel Jesus. So that that worked out, I guess you could I guess you could say, look, we missed out on top four, we don't Champions League. But I think based on where we are now, it worked out. But this year there is that pressure because we find ourselves in a situation where we're top of the league. Um, you know, we've got huge games coming up, the Spurs game, which we're gonna talk about, the the Man City game. And you know, if if we get results in both of those games. I would say then that the title was ours to lose. So they've got they've got a real opportunity here to to you know to challenge for for the title and go down to the wire, not just to sort of challenge that that you might say you know challenged until January. As we always used to say as Arsenal fans, didn't we? You know, challenged until January, February FC. Um, but now I think there's 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 actually if we win some of those games, there's the potentials. I think the club have seen that and they've said, look, we need. We need someone to to really bolster, um, and I, I understand that because when when you look beyond Martinelli and Saka, there's there's not really much there in in terms of who could come in. You've got Reese Nelson, you've got Smith Rowe, who's been injured the, the past few months. So I, I understand you, you want that depth, um, and I think they're they're willing to to give him those few weeks to to be able to acclimatize and come in because I think a lot of the the signings that that we've made recently, Harry, have been. Um, players based in in the Premier League or UK, so I think they're they're taking a bit of a punt, to be honest with with Mudrick because not not only um, as, as you say is he not really been been playing recently, but he's also been uh, been playing in the Ukrainian Premier League, so it's obviously a, a level way below the Premier League. Um, yeah. But you know, it, it, there's a lot of questions for me. I'm I'm not going to lie. Like when I talk about it, it's it, it's kind of like I talk myself into more confusion. Um, and more more doubt, but again, like I have I've seen promising things from him. I just I, I just think it, it will take a while for him to settle down. But the the, the one other point that, that I would make about him is that I'm really not sure about all this social media stuff. I, I don't know what your take is, but I think we've we've had players in the past that have um, made big deals of things on social media, like Aubameyang, and it's never really worked out for them because it's like if he can do this at Shakhtar then he's still going to be the same person in a, in a few years when he's at Arsenal. And if things don't go well, is he going to want to be angling for a move on social media again? I mean, that sort of side of football, I can't really stand. Um, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because Shakhtar obviously are in a dire situation and and he's thinking, this is my chance to move um, while, you know, I've been, I've been doing so well in the Champions League. So I, I do understand the angle of it. And maybe it's just a case of he is a very young player and needs to sort of smart up a bit. I'm not sure. Yeah, I too have sort of expressed concerns, shall we say, on that. You know, I, I get that some Arsenal fans love it. I get that people look at it and go, well, look, he really wants to join the club. These are the types of players that we need to be bringing here. These are the types of players that are going to help us progress. But at the end of the day, I think there is a an element of, of disrespect to Shakhtar Donetsk in there as well. Um, you know, the way he's been flirting with Arsenal. Yeah, it's lovely for Arsenal fans, but for... Shakhtar fans, who I guess are probably resigned to losing him anyway, it just feels like a bit of a kick in the teeth. I don't know. I wouldn't like it if it were me. If it were one of our players, regardless of whether I thought he had a future at the club or not, um, especially one of our star players, someone that we're reluctantly losing, then um, then I'd probably feel quite disappointed in his actions. So I get where you're coming from. And, and I too have said that um, sort of earlier on in the window and, and earlier on in this whole kind of saga. Um, let's go over to the comments. We'll take a few comments on this. Uh, Matt says, after paying 90 million for Mudrik, I expect him to play every game. 
flaming goal even. <laughs> I love that. Um, Jimmy says, you don't pay 90 mil for a winger if you're not planning on starting him over Martinelli, Smith-Rowe and Saka. The thing is, we talk about Smith-Rowe coming back and we talk about his return and we talk about the fact that Reese Nelson is not a million miles away from coming back to fitness. The same can be said of Gabriel Jesus. Hopefully by the end of next month, he'll be back in the picture. And actually, although that makes it tougher for Mudrick to get in the side, what it does do is it takes the pressure off of him, doesn't it, Mike? It means that there's no pressure on him now to come in and be the man. He will be allowed to kind of find his feet at the football club. He'll be an addition rather than someone that we rely on. And I know it's a lot of money and I know people can't get their heads around that, myself included. How can you be paying this type of money for someone that isn't necessarily, at least from the outset, going to be a key part of your team? But, you know, he's still young and we are paying for we are paying for potential here. Yeah. Now, often that potential doesn't get fulfilled and that ends up being a problem. But we are paying for potential. I don't think that there's a single person within Arsenal Football Club right now that believes the signing of Mikhailo Mudrik is going to be so significant that it really boosts our title chances. I think the part of the reason of getting him in now, getting him in for January, is so that he can have that second part of the season to adapt, to develop, mm. to learn his surroundings. And the next season, when we're hopefully in the Champions League, we've got another option, another top quality option. Well, let me let, let me ask you this because I think we we both alluded to the fact we think it's probably a long term signing. If the club were were really looking and saying, "All right, you know, let's sign one player for for big money to help us win the league," I f I think that would be a midfielder. Personally, yeah. I think that would be you know going throw five ten. It's not big money, but going through five ten million at Yuri Tiedemann's, he's, his contract's going to be up. Leicester might want to want to make the last bit of cash that they can before before he, he leaves for a free in the summer. Um, I think that would be the kind of player because you saw against Oxford the the drop off in in quality when when Partey and Jack are, are out of the team is absolutely huge. And um, I saw your mate, um, the friend of the show, I should say Dan Potts, put out a tweet saying, "Is is Lukonga finished?" Um, and while I don't think I necessarily agree with that, I can I can see his point. And uh, he, he's not played to the level that, that I think we need. And you think, you know, when, when the team are playing so well, he, sh he should be sort of like bursting the seams to, to come in and really want to impress. And for me, some of the fundamentals he, he, he doesn't do. So I think if you're looking at that and saying, you know, one player to come in and really give us a, a, a good shot of, of winning the league, I, I would say midfielder. I wouldn't say it would be Mudrick. So, that's why I think it's really interesting, but for for the player Harry, I think like there's there's it's the perfect environment for him because he he's coming in like a lot of us are saying we're not expecting him to be a starter, and also he he comes in and he sees how well Martinelli and and Saka are doing, the the level of competition and you know I can I can just imagine in training them two are just are just going like the clappers like as a game day every day because of how high the stakes are because we're top of the league the feeling is so good within the club and within the fan base, he's going to come in there and think, oh my God, like this is next level. Like this, this is where I'm meant to be. And the fact that he's probably going to arrive and be expected to play Europa League, I, I would say primarily is, is going to be his sort of role and, and maybe like a few substitution roles and, and, and rotation possibly, but it's not going to be a starter. I, I don't think initially. So if anything, it's the perfect environment for him to, to, to get settled in and, and show what he can do. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, let's go over to the comments uh, again. Uh, Tom, thank you so, so much for your very kind donation, my friend. He says, I've been missing in action for a while, but glad to be able to join live again. His question is, I hear the add-ons are around 20 million. I hope they're negotiating some lofty goals for the player and the team. So there has been some suggestions, some reports, in fact, that Arsenal are trying to negotiate some some pretty uh, unlikely bonuses, if that makes sense. So they're trying to set the bar really high in terms of what it would take for Arsenal to have to pay Shakhtar the total amount of money uh, that you know the deal is going to be reportedly worth. So it's going to be interesting. We'll never probably know what those add-ons are exactly. We rarely do uh, understand all of those clauses when a, a big major transfer happens. We tend to you know, have an idea and we tend to uh, look at sort of what those clauses may or may not be. But often we find out later on, don't we? Often later on down the line, we'll hear that, you know, Mikhailo Mudrik has made his 50th Premier League appearance and so Arsenal have to pay Shakhtar Donetsk two, three million pounds, whatever it is. We're not going to know exactly what those are at the time, but there have been reports, you're right to highlight it, that Arsenal are looking at trying to include some stuff that even they maybe think is, is somewhat unachievable in order to kind of sweeten Shakhtar with the potential value of this deal, but not necessarily having to fulfil it all. But we'll see, uh, of course, uh, what comes out of that. Uh, Just Ajay says he doesn't need to start immediately. He just needs to be available to come off the bench for 20 minutes. That's exactly the point I was making, that he is someone that we're going to be able to look at as an addition as opposed to a focal point. And I think that's really important for a young lad who's coming in for... Um, big money with big expectation, but maybe isn't ready to to live up to that at this stage in his career. Uh, Matt says, and I'll put this to you, Mike, how would you rate a January window of Mudrick and Tielemans? You mentioned Tielemans as well a minute ago. Are you still big on that? Because I must admit, the more I think about it, the more I'm going off of it. I don't know. Like, I feel like the ship for me with Yuri Tielemans has maybe sailed a little bit. I think he's not been as consistent over the last sort of 12, 18 months as he was prior to that. Might not be his fault, might be down to Leicester's form and, and various other elements. Maybe he's not happy at the club and that's impacting as well. But I just, I look at, I would rather have Granite Xhaka than Yuri Tielemans right now. So would you yeah. add Tielemans in as depth only? You know what? I feel like you're, you're right that the ship has kind of sailed and if we did really want, want to do that deal, we would have done it in the summer and one thing that, that, that I heard that really worried me, um, our, our old mate Grizz Khan was, uh, was talking on a, on a 90 minute gas tank show and he was saying that um, Liverpool basically turned their nose up because they weren't that impressed with his running numbers and that kind of worried me as well and I thought, okay, well obviously there's a reason why a, a bigger club haven't gone in for him and the fact that, you know, Liverpool, I, I would say, or the Liverpool of old, not Liverpool of now, uh, were huge on, on that sort of midfield being being all about the the running and and the metrics and you know the the pressing and and all of the all of those underlying numbers that um, that made them so successful. And I think we've um, we've followed that in a, in a sense because you know a lot of our good work is about the intensity and the and and how we're chasing down and um, you know all of all of that sort of high energy has been the, the core of our improvement. So I think if if Liverpool have, have looked at that um, and said, okay, well, he, he's not quite he's not quite at that level, then I'm like, why would Arsenal be any different? So I think Tielemans is a kind of easy one, isn't he? Because he, his contract is, is running out, he will be cheap. And 
to be fair, like it might sound like I'm being harsh, but I, he's got he has got a lot of quality. He's got loads and like, he's got bags of quality. And I think anyone in that in that Leicester team right now, because it's so dysfunctional, um, you know, I heard the other day that their then their net spend over the last like few years like been ten million, yeah. and that includes you know selling. Uh, Fofana for 50 million, selling Harry Maguire for 80 million. You really think that they should be spending big on on some of them players, but they they don't. They buy players in the 30, 40 million range. Um, so it's just it's just a crazy situation. So I can't necessarily blame him for if it, that he has had a dip. Um, but obviously something about that deal is isn't right. However, I would still like midfield reinforcement because because I think I, I agree with you. I'd rather have Xhaka than Tiedemans, but it's when Xhaka's you know, Xhaka doesn't get injured, but just say he does. And then who've, who have we got to come in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's about adding that layer of depth. But I've been talking quite a bit about Lakonga in the last few weeks. We've been talking about, you know, his, I guess, inability to take the opportunities that he's getting at the moment, the struggles that he's had in the centre of midfield. And one of the things that I put that down to is that I don't really think he fits our system. So I think in our system, you've got a six who's clearly a six in Thomas Partey, who has to be able to bring that defensive stability, but also the ability to progress the ball and break lines. And I think Thomas Partey does that fantastically well. And then you have to have two eights who can tuck in uh, alongside Partey when needs be, who can press when needs be, and who can join the attack and almost make it like a five-man attack when we're trying to break down stubborn defensive by making those runs uh, beyond the forwards and getting into the same line as the forwards, essentially. And Yuri Tielemans, for me, a bit like Lukonga, doesn't fit into either of those two brackets. He he would arguably fit more into the eight bracket than a six, but I'm still not sure if having, you know, I think he can offer the attacking part of it, but can he offer then the defensive side of it that Granit Xhaka, for example, can? So I feel like if we went for Tielemans, he'd be stuck in between those positions as well and not really find it a natural role for him. Obviously, if he's out of contract and you can get him on a on a good uh, deal, then yeah, you know, maybe it's worth the risk. But what I would say is when we sit here and we say, you know, clubs haven't made that move for him yet and maybe that's a bit of a red flag. A lot of players don't want to sign for clubs at this point in their contracts. And and that might be nothing to do with the intention of of outside suitors. That could be solely down to Yuri Tielemans and his people. And I say yeah. this all the time, but the reason is, is that if you're Yuri Tielemans and Leicester sell you today, then Leicester get a transfer fee for you. You get your contract at whatever club it is that you're joining. As a free agent, you've got a much greater chance of financially gaining at a much higher level yourself personally. So if you're Yuri Tielemans and Arsenal and you're a free agent and Arsenal want you, Liverpool want you, Chelsea, for example you'll say, right, I want a £10 million signing on fee. Hmm. And that signing on fee doesn't go to your club. It doesn't go to Leicester City. It goes directly to Yuri Tielemans and his people. And that is why a lot of players, as Arsene Wenger so smartly predicted years and years ago, are actually quite content now with running down their contracts, especially when they know they're good enough to go to other clubs afterwards. It's not, you know, it's, it's a bit less secure. It's not the stable. It's a bit like being a freelancer, right, versus employed. You take that yeah. risk, but the the upward sort of gain is is so much more if it pays off for you. So I think that's probably the case with him. Can we just um, that's a that, that's a good point, and I've I've never really thought about that. Can can we just sort of like dig into this Jacker role a bit more because I think it's 
So I, I've literally just said it, and, and it's a huge cliche we, we could do with an upgrade on Granit Xhaka, but like this guy is a monster. He, he, he really is. For, for someone that was, you know, shunned by a lot of Arsenal fans, me included, uh, earlier on in his career, I thought I didn't really know what he did. That, And I, I even shunned him to an extent when he started playing in, in that number eight position. I did. I, I, I didn't think he was up for it. But the fact that he's adapted so well, the guy, you know, I was talking about earlier, he never he never gets injured. I mean, he never, ever get. I don't remember him having one injury at Arsenal. Honestly, think I can't so. think of one. <laughs> and he's been there for, what, six, seven, eight years? Like, the the, the guy is just a machine. He's, he's, his numbers, uh, running-wise, are, are crazy. He's got so much energy. He barely gets taken off. He, he plays 90 minutes every game. So... It's, it's really easy for me and a lot of Arsenal fans to say, oh, well, we need an upgrade on Xhaka. But who is actually would be an upgrade on Xhaka? There's, um, I, I'm, you know, there's a few players maybe. I, I would say, personally, um, moving forward, someone who I think would be a perfect fit and but because he has been at City Paul is Bernardo Silva. Extremely unrealistic. But I think he would offer that extra creativity but still have that that work ethic um, going uh, dropping, dropping deeper and in, in, in like defensive midfield position, it's not necessarily his his strength, but I think he he can do it, and he's learned that under Pep. And maybe like Frankie De Jong, and there's a few others, but we're talking about elite players. It's not easy to find a sort of mid level player that that could do what Xhaka does, and that's why you're right about Tielemans, I think, because obviously the the club have seen something, and other clubs have seen something that says he's not quite not quite right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Johan in the chat says the best ability is availability. Yep, I like that. Uh, 33 Fiver says obviously all the coaches have seen something that the fans couldn't see in Xhaka. It's it's his leadership as well. I think, honestly, I think when he was on the verge of exiting the football club, I think the way Mikel Arteta put his arm around him and the way he sort of brought him back into the picture and, and made him a real key part, I think Granit Xhaka on a sort of human level really appreciated that and really sort of uh, maybe was a little bit taken aback by it. And and since then, I feel like Xhaka feels this loyalty to Mikel Arteta as well, uh, who's helped him get his career back on track. And I feel like he'd run through a brick wall for him. And, and I think that all of what happened with Xhaka happened and, and people argued and, and suggested that his relationship with the fans was broken and, and it probably wasn't. And with some people, it still is. But what's strong and very strong is his relationship with Mikel Arteta. And maybe he, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he turned around and said that his loyalty is more to Mikel Arteta than it is to Arsenal Football Club. But you know what? If he's out there performing for us, who cares? Who honestly cares? Um, as long as he's doing the business. And at the moment he is, he's added goals to his game this season. He's added creativity. He's been a great partner for Thomas Partey when we've had to tuck into a a slightly more defensive shape. He's just been fantastic all round. Um, we're going to move on and focus on the North London derby. Uh, obviously, the big, big game coming up uh, this weekend, but myself and Mike haven't caught up for a while. There was plenty of Mudrick chat to be done. Before we turn our attentions fully to the derby, we've got to say some congratulations because both Martin Odegaard and Mikel Arteta have won Premier League awards. Martin Odegaard has been named the Premier League Player of the Month for November, December. Now you're wondering why it's two months, because obviously we had that World Cup break in the middle. So they've decided to combine the beginning of November and the end of December. So Martin Odegaard named Premier League Player of the Month and Mikel Arteta has just been announced 
as the Premier League Manager of the Month for that same period. So uh, lots and lots of personal accolades. And hopefully at the end of the season, we'll have some team ones uh, to talk about as well. Uh, if you've got questions, hold fire on them. We will do a Q&A section at the end. So please do uh, hold on to those questions. Uh, before, finally, the last thing before we dump, uh, jump into the North London Derby, uh, got to share with you guys uh, some of our premium content over on the Another Slice platform. We dropped another bit yesterday. I've had a few messages, actually, about this last bit that I did. Uh, a lot of people enjoyed it, uh, found it quite interesting. And I promise you, if you do check it out, some of the statistics in this piece, they will shock you. You won't believe them. I was reading them off on the podcast and I'd already seen them because I'd obviously noted them down and I still couldn't believe them. So check them out. Uh, the, the question of the show was, has Zinchenko's arrival highlighted Kieran Tierney's limitations? We compared the two players. Um, is it true that Kieran Tierney is a better defender than Alexander Zinchenko? I think the eyes tell us that. But I think if you look into some of these statistics, you might think otherwise. So do check that out. Um, if you go over to uh, www.anotherslice.com forward slash chronicles of a Guna, you'll find our page. If you scroll to the top of it via the create account option, you'll be able to sign up. Once you've done that, you log in with your account and then subscribe to the Chronicles of a Guna. Once you've done that, if you prefer to access it all via the app, you can do so by downloading the Another Slice app and then logging in with your credentials. And if you click on the premium tab, you'll get access to all our premium content. We've really upped it in the last couple of weeks. There's loads of bits there uh, that are exclusive to our members. I'm sure you'll enjoy them. I'm sure you'll like them. And of course, if you want post-match North London Derby player ratings within an hour of the full-time whistle, then that's the place to be. We had a couple more uh, sign-ups last night, which was amazing. So thank you all so, so much. And um, there's a few bits with Mike on there as well. So uh, do check it out. And also, you'll be supporting not just the podcast, but the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital, because we are making a donation on a monthly basis from our membership pot over to there as well. Also, leave a like on the YouTube video. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't. Mike, we hit 25K since you were last here. That's how long it's been. Congrats, man. Thanks, man. Congrats. Thanks. Um, <laughs> no, I mean that sincerely. I, mean, I, I, I don't know why it came out like that. I do mean that sincerely. Uh, and go and sign up to another slice as well. Honestly, um, it's a it's a really good platform. It's it's growing all the time. I know uh, one of the guys who's worked really hard on it, uh, Chris Skull. And um, yeah, please please go over because Harry puts in a, a lot of work. I know uh, to go and make extra premium content for you guys. There you go. Little there you plug. Go. Did I, I make up for it there? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> forgiven. Um, <laughs> forgiven. Uh, right, let's turn our attention, Mike, to the big game uh, this weekend because it is a huge, huge North London derby. Tends to be a fixture, doesn't it, that the home side normally wins. Um, I feel a little bit anxious about this one. I feel a little bit scarred, basically, by what happened last season. I was at the game last season and, you know, it was it was painful. It wasn't the reason that we didn't make the top four. I think there are other games that you can put that down to. Losing at Spurs isn't exactly a disgrace, but there's a part of me that that worries about this game. You know, a lot of Arsenal fans are going into this with a lot of chest. You know, yeah, we're going to do it. You know, we're, we're much better. We're in a much better place. Tottenham aren't in the greatest place. We know that. But we also know, Mike, that the atmosphere is going to be electric and we know that they're going to make it very, very difficult for us. There's nobody in football that would prefer to spoil our run 
and spoil our sort of party at the top at the moment than them. So how are you feeling going into this one? Well, I've I've got a bit of inside uh viewpoint to, to Ooh, Spurs because go on. No, not not in terms of inside information. It's nowhere near as exciting as that. But but basically I've been I've been working on a Spurs podcast, unfortunately, for the athletic. Boo. Whoa, boo. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry to, to even utter those words here. Um, but I've been listening to them and basically they are very nervous about this game. They are hugely nervous and to a point where I've not really heard them like that before. I think home games at Spurs, they always think they're going to win. But I think that they're actually looking at us now and seeing how impressive we've been and basically are running scared of us. Um, and they're all sort of turning a blind eye to how good Arsenal have been because it, you know, if, if we were to win the league for the first time since 2004, um, it would be it would be a huge huge deal for for them because in in that period what have they really done like they've not this is meant to be like their sort of best period um, and like they're they're most successful in Spurs terms in a long long time and all they've won is a league cup and and uh, and got to the final of the Champions League so I think that they're looking at us now and thinking all right well even though we've not been that that successful um, Arsenal have still not won anything they've won a few FA Cups but who cares about those. Um, so, so now I think they, they actually are worried about us, and it's it, it's a nice feeling to be to feel. How, however, when actually looking at the game, Spurs are going to turn up. So, this sort of record that that they've had of uh, of conceding first in games, I think they conceded first in ten matches uh, in in a row across all competitions, okay. um, up until their their, their last match. So that sort of uh, mental block, whatever it was that was leading to that, I think in a North London derby, all of that goes out the window and they will be up for it from from minute one. Um, I'm just hoping for no red card this time, Harry, to be honest. Uh, because in, in the last two games, there has been, obviously Rob Holden got sent off last season. <sighs> and that just derailed us, didn't it? Well, didn't to, it? Win, to win this game, we know we're going to have to score more than one because... Mm. Spurs are going to get their annual North London derby penalty. Yes. You know, that that is a given. That is going to happen. Yeah. Harry Kane's probably going to match Jimmy Greaves' record. They'll be going on about that. They'll celebrate it as if they've won the Premier League or whatever. But my where I see this game being won and lost is, is in the first 20 minutes. And I honestly believe that. I think that one of the big problems we had last season was that we didn't start the game very well. We started the first 10, 15 minutes okay, as in looking comfortable, but Generally speaking, you know, we didn't really make anything happen. And and when Spurs obviously broke the deadlock as early as they did and the sending off to Rob Holding, all of that, it just, it fired them up and it killed us. It deflated us. What I would say is when I look back at the team that played that day, it was Cedric at right back. It was Holding and Gabriel at centre back and it was Tommy Asu at left back. Who is in the left back, right? Whatever we say. So three of the, the first choice back four were unavailable. And that was a big deal. We were also without Thomas Partey. We had Mohamed Onneni sitting in the midfield. So, you know, it, theoretically speaking, we should be much stronger with the players that we now have available. We should be much stronger with Saliba and Gabriel. Centre-back with Ben White playing amazingly at the moment at right-back. With Zinchenko on the left and, and with Partey sitting in that deep-line midfield position. What we need to do, in my opinion, and I don't know how you feel about this, is is we need to start fast. We have started fast most games this season, 
that's obviously something that Mikel Arteta, you know, insists on and that the players work on. If you start fast, you can almost prey on the nervousness that Tottenham are feeling. You can almost, uh, you know, sort of kill any chance they have of, of essentially raising the roof in terms of the atmosphere. You can cause them all to be sitting in their chairs slumped and being concerned. Now, of course, they'll sing us in North London derby and all of that. But once you sort of prey on that anxiety that people have and you, you bring it out more, you cause a nervousness that ultimately leads to errors. And there's no reason for us to be nervous, but there is for them. Because, you know, they're another defeat away from a major crisis. There are already letters going into Daniel Levy around about what's going on with the club. So it doesn't take much to trigger them at this moment in time. And I think as a fan, if you're sitting there, if you're a Spurs fan and you watch Arsenal come there and in the first 20 minutes get a goal, also dictate play, dictate the tempo, have a lot of the ball, play a high line, I think that will basically lead you to shit yourself. So mm. I think Arsenal need to do that. I think the, the start to the game is so important. It's important that we get our noses in front, but it's also important that we don't give them any encouragement whatsoever, given that their confidence at the moment is is quite fragile. It's a tough one. It's going to be tough. Uh, I'm I'm dreading the game. I always dread this game. But what I will say, and I don't know if you agree, Mike, is that if Manchester United were to beat Manchester City at Old Trafford on Saturday in the early kickoff, that takes a lot of the pressure off of us going into that game. I.e., not that we yeah. want to lose it, but a draw would actually be quite quite acceptable and, and probably quite positive. We'd even gain a point on City if it were to work out that way. Yeah, and you're you're completely right. I think this this weekend will will tell us a lot about the title race because I think we either lose and and you know lose all of the momentum that that we built up, but not only that, lose against Spurs and uh, you know potentially put that them back on a on an upward spiral, or we you know as you say, Man United beat Man City, create that advantage, and then we beat Spurs, and we could really push on. Um, and then suddenly that that Man City game, when's that coming up? That's coming up in a very soon, isn't it? Uh, about a month or so. That that game suddenly looks like you know a decider. Uh, so if you can get there and you know you, you're kind of playing Man City and you've got the potential to go, you know, a huge huge distance in in front of them and beat them, you know, you're looking at. at having sort of like the first few letters of, of Arsenal's name on the, on the trophy. Um, Are you getting that far? That's bold. Well, first few letters, maybe, maybe a, a R maybe a R obviously there'll, there'll be a way to go after that. But you know, if that, if things do work out like that, it's, it's going a, a, a long way down the line. I think the, the key battles for us against Spurs um, will be Gabriel against Kane um in that game where they beat us gab i feel like gabriel didn't didn't have a great game i think their third goal we got spun by kane uh and kane as you say he's going to be in the mood because he needs two goals to break jimmy Cruz's record and become spurs all-time top scorer obviously hasn't won a trophy in that time so i'm i'm, I'm sure he'll be happy about that but he'll have that in the back of his mind as well um and he will get his customary penalty so we can already rule that out as you know needing one goal to to break the record um so he's he's going to be bang up for it and then also the 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 wing backs i think spurs have really struggled defensively recently and if we can get their their wing backs on on toast where we're looking good essentially 
and we can free up a bit of space for Eddie and Ketia to, to do his thing as well. Uh, but the the area we can really batter them really is midfield because I think their Conte is not going to change. He's not going to put free midfield. He just he just doesn't do it. I think it, it might depend on whether Kulusevski is fit or not. Um, but if Kulusevski is fit, fit, there's no way that they're going to play for in midfield. Um, so I think we can really sort of dominate them, party, Xhaka and, and Odegaard. We can get a hold of the game. And I think that's, like you say, what we need to do. Get a goal early, uh, turn the crowd against against each other. And I think if, if we do that early on, we could really go on to have a, a really positive day. But if Spurs sort of slug it out and make it really difficult for us and you know we're we're really struggling to create chances it it could be one of them games where where it is it is really difficult to to create and as we've seen in past North London derbies uh they've they've got a lot of threat on the counter attack the only sort of caveat to that is i think harry to be honest a lot of their players are not in form i think son who's caused us so many problems in the past he looks like a shadow of of the player that he was he so lives and wins the penalty doesn't he yeah, true. But in terms of in, in terms of actual goal scoring and, and confidence, he's he's probably at, a, at an all time low. So um, we're we're hoping these these sort of factors go for us. But I mean, as as much as we talk about the tactics and as as much as we talk about stuff, the the North London derby is an emotional game, isn't it? Yeah. And it's about us keeping our emotions in check. Which going by this season, I think we're in a much better position to do. So I'm hoping we continue that. Well, for all the talk about us starting fast you know that Spurs will be looking at that as well. You know that Antonio Conte will be uh, very aware of that and you'll know that he'll probably be setting them up in such a way where they can try and ride out that first 20 minutes or so, um, you know, keep it level and then potentially grow into the game a little bit later on, as they tend to do because they are a side that, you know, are much better statistically in the second half of matches than they are in the first. But I think the other thing as well, we're coming up against the back five, it will be a back five when they're out of possession. We know that. And we know that that can often be difficult to break down. The only way you break down a back five comfortably, I think, is by being bold and, and being bold in your movement. You've got to be brave and you've got to take risks. Now, that leaves holes in behind and Spurs as a counter-attacking outfit are very, very useful. And that worries me a little bit. But you've got to be bold and you've got to push your midfielders on. And I talked earlier on about the role that Xhaka plays and the role that Odegaard plays. And I think that could be the key to unlocking their back five. Let me just quickly bring up uh, the tactics board just to kind of demonstrate what it is that I'm, oh, I'm trying to get. Oh, I've missed this, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I've missed this, mate. The tactics really board. really missed this. So let's say that Spurs play with a back five, right? It becomes really difficult to break down a back five because of their shape, because of how narrow they can get if they want to. They can you know, they can control the edge of their penalty area and there is very little space in between them for you to expose. And as a lone forward, there are going to be moments where Eddie and Ketty is going to be extremely isolated here. You know, you'd argue that there are three centre-backs that he has to deal with. And this is why you need to push your Jackers and your Odegaards forward, okay? Yes, that, that involves risk. Partey will squeeze up to the halfway line. Your centre-backs who do have the pace nowadays to get up alongside him, will do that and close the gap. Zinchenko will probably tuck in here and Ben White will be there or thereabouts. Arsenal need to try and compact the game into a smallest area as possible in order to then make it a competition of one-on-one -on -one ability. So if you've got five attackers going up against five defenders, it only takes one man to beat his man to create that bit of space. 
and to create that bit of room in and around the penalty area. That defensive sides, defensive units always want to have spare men. They always want to have people that are there to sweep up, to clean up. In this instance, if Arsenal push the five men forward, as they have done so often this season, and that involves Xhaka and Odegaard doing a lot of work, getting up and down, tucking in defensively when we need them to, but also getting up and occupying those half spaces and supporting the front line, then you isolate people. You make it one-on-one. You make one-on-one battles. Saka in a one-on-one, you'd back him to beat his man. The same with Gabby Martinelli. Eddie and Ketia can spin away from people. Xhaka popping up on the edge of the box could be useful. And Odegaard, we know he's a bag of tricks. So I think that there's there's a balance to be found. You don't want to be too gung-ho away from home against Spurs. You don't want to be so brave and almost that, that you almost become naive. But what you need to uh, do is you do need to get those bodies forward in order to counteract the fact that Antonio Conte is going to have tons of them sitting on the edge of their box. They won't play a high line. They will fear our pace. They will sit on the edge of their penalty area. They'll try and keep it compact. And they'll have five players in that defensive phase for us to break through. So, yeah, I think that's key. I think the two number eights getting forward into those half spaces and making it 5v5 whenever possible is the key to unlocking a defence like that. Yeah, and Odegaard, Harry, I think, um, well, we've got a very similar game to sort of uh, compare it to in, in Newcastle at home. We we came up against a team who were only interested in in defending, had, you know, I think way less counter-attacking threat that, that Spurs will have. Um, so it was all about how how they could stay compact. I mean, their, their wingers were, were basically wing backs, weren't they? Joe Linton and, and Almiron uh, against Newcastle. So I think that game showed you how key Odegaard is, and because he wasn't, you know, at hundred percent in that game, he was only operating at about sixty seventy of, of his full potential. We we struggled, so he will be key. Uh, him him being on it and him, you know, pulling out his box of tricks and. And, and trying to confuse opposition and, and making space will be absolutely key. And, and Ketia, um, for me, I don't want to see him dropping too deep in this game because I just think we, when you're playing against three defenders, you need to keep them occupied. And if and if yeah. he drops really deep and, and tries to do what, what Jesus does, we're, we're going to run into a bit of trouble because we only end up having Martelli and Saka uh, up in that end of the pitch and, you know, five defenders versus two is, is going to be an easy battle. So I think I think his role is going to be important as well. And then, as you say, Xhaka breaking into the box as well. Um, I I think we we should go fully gung-ho because everything is sort of lining up for us in, in this sort of game because we, we are the we, we are the form team. We should, on, on paper, beat them. We've got a better squad right now, better first team anyway by, by far. Um, so I think we we really should be going for them and trying to get that early goal um, because we've seen sometimes when we when we do take our foot off the gas a bit we we can be a uh, yeah we we just go for it basically I think. Do you think though that Mikel Arteta's approach or or how hard he kind of presses the accelerate button if you like attack button whatever it is do you think that that would depend on what happens in the game between United and City because. If you get to, you know, if City have just beaten Man United and you get to the 70th minute of the North London derby and it's nil-nil, mm. then you feel that pressure, don't you, to go on and try and get all three points in order to maintain that distance between ourselves and them. Mm. If you know that Man City have lost, would you risk it in the last 15, 20 minutes? Would you risk opening up, trying to win the game to the point where you could lose it? Or would you just see it out? I think 
What happens on Saturday is massive because this isn't one of those weekends where, you know, sometimes you look at a weekend and you go, City have got a really tough game, but we've got a game that we should win. And so there's a pressure on us to win it. This mm. time around, I think the games that we have are equally as difficult. We're both going away to our local rivals. Okay, City's game, you'd argue, is more difficult because United are on form. But I I don't know. I think for me, I think you, you've got to look at what happens on Saturday and that might influence some decisions in-game. I'm not saying you shouldn't approach it to win it, but I'm saying that in-game, if there is a time where it's kind of, you know, keep it as it is or or, or go for broke, I, I think I would be influenced by the result on Saturday. It's, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, I'm just looking at the table now, so they're five points behind us. So if they win that, that gap produces, doesn't it? Quite, quite significantly. Um, but I, no, I, I don't know. I don't really think that that will impact it, Harry, because I think the, not not even just from a points perspective, but from a momentum perspective, if we if we beat our rivals, um, that will do so much for us in, in terms of confidence because we've had big wins this season, but this just feels bigger, doesn't it? Like we've beaten Chelsea, we've beaten Liverpool, um, we've beaten Spurs already, obviously. We we lost to Man United, our, our only loss of the season, but we've we've had big wins. But this feels bigger, so I think in in terms of what that could do, it could it could give us a huge huge boost. And and as as I say, like imagine if we win tonight and then win, sorry, win on Sunday and then win, you know, all of our remaining games up until the Man City game. That the sort of the the position that puts us in is is crazy. So. I do understand your point, but I just think that you have to go out to win it. Yeah, yeah it's just, just this game, man. It, it just does yeah. this to me. It does it's mad things to you, doesn't mind. it? Yeah, it does, yeah, it does. I look at this Arsenal side now and I, and I don't like the idea of sitting off of teams. I don't like the idea of giving other people the upper hand. I think one of the reasons we've been so good is because we've been dominant, we've been bold, we've been brave, and we've been willing to take games on um, without really an awful lot of fear. You know, yes, we've been caught out a couple of times. We were caught out against Man United at Old Trafford because maybe we were too aggressive at points. I, I do look back on that game and think, well, you know, had we at 1-1 sort of been a little bit more reserved, we, we might have got out of there with a point. But by that same token, that bravery and that willingness to take risk has earned us points that maybe last season we wouldn't have earned in other matches. So, it's all swings and roundabouts, but it's really, really difficult. I mean, Mike, in terms of the team, um, for me, the team pretty much picks itself. Uh, we'll just mm -hmm. run through it together. Uh, let me know if you've got any objections. But we both agree, I guess, that Ramsdale is the goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ramsdale uh, in goal. Right back, Ben White. Yep. Got B, hasn't it? He's been superb this season. For me, one of our best players. Saliba and Gabriel at centre-half. Yep. Huge game for Saliba because obviously he's he's coming in in place of Rob Holding from the last fixture, and uh, I will say I think he's not quite been at his at the level he was earlier in the season since he's come back from the World Cup. Yeah, I agree with that. I really do. Um, left back Zinchenko. Yeah, Are you with me that Zinchenko just gives us more as a as a an overall sort of. I don't know what the right word is as an overall sort of addition to this to the side. He he's more of a leader for me. He's yeah. better in possession for me. 
his ability to drop into the midfield allows us to dominate and control football matches. Yeah. He's got that winning mentality. I just think, you know, Kieran Tini's great. And, and this is not to, to shit on him, as I said in the premium podcast that we did yesterday. But there is there is a lev- there is a difference in level, isn't there? It's his it's his impact on on Xhaka, I think that's key because I think when when Xhaka's playing with Tierney, he's always worried. You know, he's Tierney sometimes plays as an auxiliary winger, and Xhaka's always thinking, well, he's kind of going back to his days when he used to play left back, and he was like, shit, like there's going to be so much space there, I'm going to have to cover, and then that you know puts a, something in his mind saying that he can't he can't bomb on as as much as he he can when Zinchenko's there. So there's. Zinchenko is a is a level above Tierney. Um yeah. Thomas Partey in that number six role. Odegaard yeah. and Jacker making up the rest of the midfield. It's gotta be, hasn't it? Has to be. And then the front line, Inketia, main yeah. man, alongside Martinelli and Saka. It has to be. I would love Martinelli to be the one to win this derby. I just love him so much. I love it would be, way. wouldn't it? But also, yeah. also, like, how good did it feel Xhaka scoring in that game earlier this season? Yeah. It really felt like that was the moment that he turned the corner completely. Absolutely. Like scoring, scoring in a North London derby, putting them, putting them to bed was was great. Just like that goal against Man United, you know, he's scoring against teams that that we really hate, and uh, it's only making him become win more and more favour with the fans. It's almost repairing his relationship, isn't it, with a lot of people? It is. I mean, yeah. if you score in a North London derby, it's just that... I don't know why, but it just... It, it must give you such a boost that scoring in, in other games won't. Yeah, for sure. And his one was the, the third one that day as well. Killed it, and yeah. Then, and that was the get the goal that killed it, wasn't it? The goal that yeah. sort of made you breathe a sigh of relief, which... You go, you know, you go to one up, you, you celebrate it, but you don't celebrate it with the same uh, level of relief, I guess, as you do when a third goes in. But anyway, OK, so that's our team for the North London derby. I'm pretty sure that's what Mikel Arteta will select, barring any surprises. Aaron Ramsdale in goal, Ben White, William Saliba, Gabriel and Alexander Zinchenko across the back line. Partey, along with Xhaka and Odegaard mm. in midfield and Ketia through the middle, flanked by Saka and Martinelli. I was I, I was interested to get your takes on what you think the key battles are, Harry. I think there's a few. Um, I think there's a few. I think the midfield is obviously in in any game, you know, key. Um, I think the Gabriel Kane thing is important as well. Um, I think Ben White Son could be a, a real key battle as well. I think that William Saliba might have to help Ben White out sometimes. Um, I think Gabriel's got the physicality to handle Kane, and and Kane hasn't got an awful lot of pace these days. You know, it is about just being switched on to his movement and being alert to the fact that he is going to drop in holes. My worry with Gabriel is that in these types of games, he gets a little bit too fired up. And I know that's part of what makes him a great player, but sometimes it can, you know, it can just, I don't know, it can just take him over the line a little bit. And away from home, they'll be trying to get you sent off. The crowd will be trying to get you sent off. He needs to just stay really focused. Um, I think that, you know, our wingers can can really ping back their wing backs, And I think that is... Um, that is something that nullifies their threat a little bit. Their midfield will be combative, whoever it is that they select. And uh, and our players need to be up for that as well. And again, you know, people like Xhaka, he's got to watch himself not to get too involved in that type of thing. But I think there's key battles all over the park, Mike. I really do. I think yeah. that. Yeah. Well, the other one I worry a little bit about on our side is, is Aaron Ramsdale. 
because on occasions he can get a little bit silly. He was a little bit silly, I thought, against Newcastle at the start of the second half when he gave that ball away on the edge of his six-yard box. You can't do shit like that, especially not away to Spurs. So, um, yeah, we'll see. But the the other, I say that Ramsdale's one I worry about. I do worry a little bit about Saliba right now as well because, as you say, he hasn't been at the same level he was. Maybe he's just levelled out a little bit because the, the level he was performing at prior to the World Cup was... It was it was flawless, you know. That is yeah. that is not something that is sustainable for a twenty one year old uh, who's who's been out on loan for a couple of seasons. Yeah, I think it, for for him it was just the fact that he'd been he'd been sensational for Arsenal, got getting all of the praise, and then he goes uh, to the World Cup with France, which obviously is a huge deal, and it's a it's a, moment, a momentous moment in his career. But because he wasn't playing. He didn't have that same intensity of training, I think. Yeah, maybe. And he wasn't playing a competitive competitive game every week. So I think that the thing with him, he just wasn't... The last few weeks, he hasn't looked that bulldozing, uh, but elegant self that, that he usually is. And, you know, the, 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 the sprints and the, and the power and the making everything look easy, it's just not quite been there. So I, I do question whether that's a, whether that's a fitness thing. Um, and a little bit of a confidence thing because when you're playing well week in week out twice a week often this season you you do really have that that thing in your mind where it's like right well, I can do anything any yeah. any attacker in in the Premier League Saliba sizing up and thinking you know th- this guy's nothing to me because he's he, he's such a monster but when you're not playing every week you don't you don't have that so he's playing in training um and yeah you would have been probably playing against him in Mbappe in a few like five side games or, or or whatever but it's it's just not the same is it so no, i'm, I'm right. hoping with, with a few more games under his belt and you know ex, ex, especially sunday he can start to get that sort of uh, sharpness back don't you think it'd really boost the fans as well if if there was some further communication around the Mudrick deal as well in the the build up to this game i'm not saying that it's all going to be completed medical and mm-hmm. announcement and all that but if there was just, you know, one of those David Ornstein reports, for example, that says the deal is agreed, don't you think that would just kind of lift lift the levels of the fans as well going into this? Yeah, it would be great. It would be great. Are you um I'm I'm guessing you're not going to the game, are you? As far as I know, no. Um I, I was <laughs> so yeah. tough to get tickets for North London Derby. I know. I, I went last season, um and uh and yeah, I, I paid uh to get a ticket sort of off of uh off of someone I knew, there was a spare going. Someone couldn't make it, um, so I, I took the ticket on and and went. And, and obviously, we got battered, and it was a, a shit night, really. But that's the risk you take, isn't it? Um, yeah. I haven't I haven't had any luck with a ticket so far this season. Um, not working there either. Um, so yeah, at the moment, it's it's unlikely. But I have. It's not unheard of for someone to ring me at six o'clock in the morning on the day of the game and offer me a ticket and this is obviously one that you can get to really easily so i uh maintain some hope but at the moment no uh at the moment i'll be um i'll be watching it on tv which yeah i don't know if that's more nerve-wracking or less to be honest <laughs> it is a very unenjoyable fixture for me yeah because you know the whole build-up to the game and you know even the week preceding is it's kind of like shit like it's the north london derby it just means so much to you yeah. which which sort of like just makes you like so nervous that you can't feel anything anymore and it's just like everything becomes about the game and it's like your whole weekend is it's built around it 
uh, that like by the time you get to the game, you just got no no feeling left. Well, um, I, haven't, I haven't got yeah. much work on this weekend, right? Yeah. So like, which is in stark contrast to the last few weekends, and it's sod sod's law that it's the week of the North London derby because now I have to actually sit and think about it. So mm. I've tried to plan out my weekend so that it's so busy right up until the point of the derby. So I have less time to think about it. So tonight I'm going to watch Napoli Juventus. Really looking forward to that. Um, Tomorrow I'm going to watch uh, the Manchester derby at midday. And then I'm going to watch Brighton versus Liverpool at 3 p.m. I need to make some form of plans for tomorrow evening. So I'm not thinking about it the night before. And then on Sunday morning, I'm going to head down to the Emirates for uh, the big WSL game between the Arsenal women and the Chelsea women. Right uh, Top of the table, clash that. And then I'll be back home probably an hour before the kickoff of the North London derby. So hopefully there's not enough time for me to really kind of yeah, over it and, and think about it. But we'll see. We'll see. Let's get a prediction from you, Mike. And then we'll take a couple of questions and then we'll say our goodbyes. Uh, How do you see this one going? Oh, that's really tough. I'm going to I'm gonna go for a high score and draw. I'm going to go for a 2-2. I think, we'll, I think we will cancel each other out um but yeah it's going to be a tough one i'm not expecting us to to completely blow them away so i'll go would for you, a draw would you sign for that draw now like if i offered you that if i offered you a draw now would you sign for it would you take it and not play the game or are you <laughs> confident that we can go there and win i think we can win i do think we can i just I think, think we can win but are you confident that we will win then let me let me i'm not confident way. we will win but as, as i said like i just think all sometimes all of the tactics go out of a window and it's about how you handle the occasion because last season i think you know i think we could have come back but then we got the red card and everything was finished and you know people have been making a lot of noise about arteta and his and his temperament i would just love us to stuff it to everyone and just like completely blow them away. But unfortunately, things don't really work like that in the North London Derby. So would I take the draw? Yeah, I probably would. I, I, I probably would, yeah, because I'm not confident. I, I would definitely take the draw. Um, Prediction-wise, though, I'm going to go for 1-1. One, one. Uh, that's my prediction at the moment. So I'm, I think I'm going to stick it with it. But yeah, ask me again before kickoff. I don't know. I don't know. I can't think. My mind is scrambled <laughs> leading up into this game. I can't stand them i can't stand them man and and just yeah the, the the desire to beat them is so strong every time we play them but more so now because if we get beat we've obviously got united coming up next and then the talk starts doesn't it about look at arsenal the wheels are coming off blah 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 i just want to shut people up i just want us to continue pushing the way we are um, try and maintain those consistency levels that we've seen so far this season. I know it's a big ask. 14 out of 17 wins in the Premier League so far. That's pretty damn impressive and arguably unsustainable. So, you know, it would be a big ask for us to continue to deliver in that way. But if we can, my God, I'll be so smug and I'll be loving life. Right, let's take a couple of questions. Uh, I did star a couple earlier that I saw coming through. Uh, if you've got any, chuck them in. Uh, we'll take one or two. Uh, before we disappear off into the sunset, I've already taken up uh, more of Mike's time than we uh, spoke about. Uh, Des uh, says, Harry, Mike, given that it affects the recruitment policy in that area, do you have any thoughts on Patino's long-term future and tactical role in the team? Obviously, he's doing really well at Blackpool at the moment, and people keep talking about him coming back into the side. 
I've heard people suggest that he could come in and be the Thomas Partey understudy. I don't see Charlie Patino as that type of player. I know at Blackpool, he gets the ball in deep areas and he progresses it really nicely. But is he physically up to that? No, I'd, I'd definitely say he's more of a, a Jacquerel type, uh, that, that sort of box-to-box midfielder. I mean, it's this this season has been fantastic for him and he's done really, really well. Um, but, you know, it is really tough to... to to come back and and make an impact on on the first team, I'm, I'm hoping he can sort of follow in the in the in the shoes of Eddie and Katia and uh, and Emil Smith Rowe because they both had championship loans yeah. and uh, they turned out pretty successfully in the end. Um, but I'm not sure. I think he's got a lot of a lot of development to do before he's before he's a real first team. I think there's there's quite a long way to go, even though the, the talent is clearly there and. I guess the interesting thing is that um, next season, you know, say it probably looks like we're going to get Champions League. Uh, so it's like players like him, unfortunately, will probably have a bit less first team time because they won't have the Europa League to sort of yeah. uh, go and run out in. So, it, it, you know, when he when he comes back in the summer, I guess we'll assess him, see see whether he's ready uh, to maybe challenge with her for a you know a few Premier League games or cup games or whatever and then we can we can see but if not I don't I wouldn't think it would be the worst thing in the world for him to go on another loan but maybe to a Premier League side next season depending yeah, I don't disagree with that I'm I like Charlie Patino I like what he brings to the table technically um but I'm not convinced even by his spell at Blackpool that he's ready to come into a side like ours and hold down a, a significant squad place We'll have to see. We'll have to see. There are people better placed, obviously, to make that judgment than I am. Uh, Ray Beam says, Harry, the obvious question, anything else pending outside of the Mudrick saga? Not that we know of, if we're being completely honest. There were talks about Danilo uh, from uh, Flamengo. David Ornstein poured cold water on that a few weeks back. Some reports in Brazil suggested that that was potentially back on, but it looks now as though he's Nottingham Forest bound, which makes me question how good is he in the first place? if he's happy to make that move uh, from Palmeiras to Nottingham Forest. So, you know, no, there isn't. There isn't anything in the pipeline that we know about at this moment in time, but that could be a good sign. That could mean that Arsenal are, uh, you know, working away in the shadows as we know they like to do. Some deals, you can't keep them contained. And and that's, you know, the case a lot of the time. But uh, often you can, as we learned with Fabio Vieira. Uh, Fabio Vieira, remember when that happened? Mm-hmm. You knew nothing about it. Bang. Yeah. Out he came. That was it. Done. Arsenal agree fee with Porto for Fabio Vieira. Those are the best deals, aren't they? I love them. Love them. Amazing. Right. We are going to leave it there. We've been going for an hour and 10 minutes. Bloody hell. Um, It's flown by. Mike, thank you uh, so, so much, mate. Great to have you back on the show. Let people know how they can follow you, how they can keep up to date with the great work that you're doing. Yeah, so best place is uh, at Mike underscore Stavridge, where you can moan at me about some of my takes, uh, which me and you, Harry, both get a lot. It was it was quite funny because you, Harry, caught a stray bullet the other day. I I put out a tweet about Eddie and Ketia, which people disagreed with, and then someone was like, "I can't believe you and Harry talk so much rubbish." It's like, Harry's not done anything, mate. <laughs> Why is he even I've getting brought up? Eddie and Ketia as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, damage is what they call me when they come after you. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, uh, at my underscore stab, I'll post links to, to my stuff there. 
brilliant make sure you give uh, mike a follow make sure you subscribe to this channel make sure if you're listening on audio you leave us a review and i'll subscribe on whatever platform it is you download your content from be sure to check out the another slice platform as well where as well as accessing our premium stuff you can access all the regular stuff as well so if you want to have it all in one place uh, that's the way to do it. Remember, uh, all you need to do is go over to anotherslice.com slash Chronicles of Aguna, create an account via the option at the top of the page, uh, log in with that account, subscribe, and then you can download the app if you prefer and access the content that way. The next bit of premium content coming out will be the post-match player ratings within an hour of the full-time whistle after the North London derby, and there'll be plenty more to come next week. You're not just supporting the podcast, you're not just supporting me, but you're supporting the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital as well. So do check it out. And we'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal content. If we don't hear any news tomorrow on Mudrick, if there aren't any further developments, we'll be back on Sunday post-match. Uh, but if there is, then of course, we'll be uh, right across it here on the Chronicles of Aguna. Thank you all so much. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.